my name is Brian Martin and you are listening to episode 15 of the Running Technique Tips podcast. I'm joined by Lisa Biffin from Sydney and Lisa, I have made it. We're doing the Melbourne Marathon preview podcast recording. I'm very excited. Only a couple of days to go. I'm going to make the start line. Well, I'm excited for you and I am excited for all of the other runners who are going to hit that start line. We've got some listeners out there. We've got some friends and only a couple of sleeps to go. So how are you feeling? Well, I'm pretty happy that um, I'm going to be towing the start line. Um, there's never any guarantees in marathon running in particular. And yeah, given I've had a couple of challenges with the calf um, a couple of weeks ago, um, it's good to get to the point where I know I'm just going to be turning up and towing the line and then we'll see what happens after that. Mm. So I have been, I must admit, I'm feeling pretty good now, but earlier in the week I was a bit bit ratty, I think. Yeah. So take us through this lead up. What uh, what have you been doing this week? How have you been feeling? And what have you been doing to sort of, I'm assuming you've got pre-marathon anxiety. You'd be crazy if you, if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I've got a little bit of that, but I think it's probably more nervous excitement this year rather than genuine anxiety. Um, I, last year I was definitely anxious. I was uh, really quite terrified about the whole experience going through the first time. Um, but having done it once definitely helps. Um, but yeah, having said that, um, I'd have to say, yeah, that this week, uh, there have been a few mental challenges and some physical things as well that have um, just kind of been playing on my mind a little bit. Um, obviously, the calf has been okay, um, but I must admit, um, yeah, even especially when I spoke to Kevin, he was um, he was mostly positive about the signs that I'd had with training, but it, there's probably always that little doubt. Um, about how how it might hold up over the mm. the full forty two kilometers, um, so yeah, that probably has been playing on my mind a little bit. Mm. Um, and yeah, this week I've actually only done. I'm not going to really do a recap because I've hardly run. I've done a couple of runs this week of about um, eight eight k's each, okay. about 40, 40 odd minutes, and they were they were pretty awful. Those runs um, mm. didn't feel great. No calf issues, but yeah, I'd, I'd noticed especially that um, my heart rate had increased quite a bit um, at reasonably easy paces compared to what it has been throughout sort of this last part of the build-up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a uh, yeah, a bit of a mental challenge, particularly because I'm using this Maffetone heart rate methodology to kind of guide my training but also as a as a way of sort of um, measuring my fitness. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sort of seeing your pace dropping off and your heart rate going up in the week before the race isn't ideal for the confidence levels. Do you know what, though? This is, this is a real phenomenon. I think I briefly mentioned this before in one of our other podcasts, but how you're feeling or how you're describing that you're feeling, I completely relate to it because before any major run that you know I'm wanting to do quite well in, I experience exactly what you say that you're going through at the moment. So every session I do, is just that little bit too hard. And I've been running for so many years now that, you know, I, I still try to 
basically say, I've done the training, you know, that's that self-talk, you know, this is just the body, it's going through, it's on a taper, you're going to be fine. But it can really mess with your mind because you think, hang on, last week I was cruising along in five minute or five and a half minute Ks and this week, you know, my heart rate's right up and I can barely run under five and a half minute Ks. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely definitely a thing. So, yeah, there's uh, it's probably not something I'm going to dwell on too much before the race, but, yeah, after the race I will be having a bit of a think about um, whether that is just pre-race um, related, uh, uh, I don't know, what did you call it when we were, when we were off air? Pre, oh, well, PMS. Pre-marathon. PMS. Pre-marathon syndrome. <laughs> Could be pre-marathon syndrome. Um, but, yeah, I think I've mentioned the other day they've had a couple of little little external stresses that have kind of come in unrelated to running that, um, yeah, my, my may be reacting to. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely the whole picture of not just your training but other things that are going on in your life. So yeah. a couple of little um, unwanted stresses coming in late in the program, not ideal, but none of us unfortunately live in a bubble. So you've just got to kind of take those in your stride and yeah. um, look, yeah, I, just forge ahead. I, I reckon that there would be a lot of listeners out there that are experiencing what you're experiencing at the moment and a lot of it would be that pre-race anxiety and you know how those thoughts creep into your head all of a sudden have I done enough training? Have I done the right training? Have I overtrained? Have I eaten correctly? And you just, you go from a ball of confidence to just this person of complete self-doubt. And <laughs> I think that's just being human and like we all go through it. But, you know, what are some of the coping mechanisms that you've put in place to help get through some of that this week? Uh, well, I think um, definitely thinking about um, the very consistent body of training that I've done throughout the course of the year. So I actually haven't had like anxious thoughts about I haven't done enough training or I'm not going to be fit enough. Um, those kind of um, thoughts I've been able to, um, well, not really have. And, and I guess that's just the confidence of, done a really cons- of having done a really consistent block of training. So um, even though I haven't done a huge amount of running through the taper, um, that's not concerning me in terms of um, fitness, but I think I think that's something that you've you've got to do, particularly if you've had a few challenges towards the end. Is really think about well, this whole campaign is like an overall body of training, and um, the kind of longer and more consistent that's been, I think the less you have to worry about um, little challenges that you might have had um, towards the end. So I'm feeling quite good about um, the fitness side of things. I was feeling less good about seeing my my heart rate kind of um, changing because mm. that sort of, you know, although it could be just external stresses or anxiety, it's, it could also be a sign of, you know, am I getting sick or, you know, those kind of things. So that was a bit of a challenge and probably the, the calf for me has been mm. the other challenge. Yeah. And look, after, after my two runs where I felt pretty ordinary, the strategy I actually thought that might be best given there was only a few days to go, was actually just to stop running. Yeah, um, I like that one. I usually employ that one. <laughs> yeah, so a bit inspired by your strategy, which you sort of stated a long way out that you weren't even planning on running for the three days prior to the marathon, mm. and that's exactly what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, I I just... I'm not actually gaining anything by going out and, and doing another couple of runs. In fact, it was actually diminishing my confidence and probably getting in the way of um, – 
uh, my body being able to kind of get itself together before the before the marathon. Yeah, exactly. So I think a really good point in there because you've got this little calf niggle and no doubt you know, after training for a marathon, there are lots of people out there that are getting to that start line with a few you know bumps and, sc- and grazes and their, their body's probably not 100%. And, you know, going into the Canberra Marathon earlier this year, that you and I did together, uh, I had runner's knee flare up and I think it was, I didn't run for maybe three or four days beforehand. Like I literally didn't take a step. I didn't do any exercise at all. It was just stretching and self-massage. And, you know, I, I got through that race. I felt amazing actually. It's probably still to this day the best race I have felt all year. <laughs> I went into it calm, completely tapered and, you know, really quite low expectations and ended up really surprising myself. But yeah, I, I I personally am not one that recommends running every day up to a race. I know there are some people that feel like they get a bit stale and that they need to keep refreshed. But uh, look, personally, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Yep. Yeah, you ran, ran really well in that half um, at Canberra. So, yeah, that's a good for good idea for me to remember that. And yeah, I was a, I was a bit influenced by chatting to Kevin as well, where it's just sort of you know a little bit of few extra rest days just to allow the calf to kind of fully recover. And although it hasn't been bothering me at all during runs, I just got that sense feeling that there was you know still that little bit of tightness hanging around so yeah um, instead of running over these last few days i'm just you know walking charlotte the wonder dog um she's probably going to get an extra walk every day Perfect. um that'll keep me moving and yeah just doing a little bit of um uh self-massage and making sure i'm feeling nice and limber and relaxed yeah try and get out and get some sun on my skin get some vitamin d happening so Um, take us through your plan for like pre-race day so on the because the race day sunday morning um what are you planning on doing on saturday because you don't live in melbourne you've you've still got to travel Um, yes take us through the day before and then the actual race day so the day before will just be pretty cruisy so that'll just be driving down to Melbourne um, in the morning and the only thing I really definitely you definitely want to um, minimize any kind of commitments or extra external things you might have to do the day before so the only task that I really have to do on Saturday well there's there's three tasks one get to Melbourne two drop off my personal drinks because the Melbourne Marathon um, gives you the opportunity to have three personal drink statement, uh, stations, which I'll talk about a bit later, um, and that has to be done before two o'clock on the day, the day before of the race, and then just go and check into accommodation and relax. So uh, uh, my support crew, i.e. my brother, will be arriving Saturday evening. So yeah, my wife and my brother um, all staying in the same place. So yeah, we'll just have a pretty cruisy meal and. Yeah, just relax and tell some stories about marathon running and try and get a, an early night. Do you have any pre-race meal that you swear by or you're pretty easygoing when it comes to that? I'm pretty easygoing. Like a number of people have asked me this week about whether I'd be carb loading and uh, I, I won't be. I'm just going to be eating normally. Um, I don't know if this is a superstition but um, – I had a really nice meal last week, which was just like, oh, sorry, last year, which was just um, some nice chicken with some 
nicely cooked potatoes and some vegetables and so yeah there's a little bit of carbohydrate in your potatoes or whatever but that's the kind of you know normalish balance of a meal that I would normally have so don't overthink it basically yeah unless you're one of those people who's following an extreme ketogenic diet um you probably can just eat normally if your normal food does involve eating some vegetables and other things that contain some some form of carbohydrate. But I'm not going to be sitting there stuffing myself full of pasta or pizza. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Post race. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pizza part with the, with a few beers. Yeah, I was, I, the pizza bit. I, d- I did actually listen to marathon talk um, the other day, and there was a guy who was one of um, Elliot Kipchoge's photographers was talking about Elliot chowing down a big pizza after the marathon so maybe a pizza after the marathon is the way to go yeah well if it's good enough for him then surely it's good enough for the rest of us right absolutely absolutely (laughs) okay so you're going the day before you're having a nice relaxed dinner with your brother what about race day what time does it start what's the weather going to be like actually that's definitely an important factor yeah look that's definitely something that I wanted to talk about the weather forecast is not ideal um, mm. for marathon running. It's going to be quite warm. So I think at the moment they're forecasting between 14 and 24 degrees. Mm. Um, but the, I'm not so concerned about the the warm, warm weather because it starts at 7 a.m. Um, and we've just flicked over to daylight savings time. So that's really 6 a.m. So the early part of the race especially is going to be still quite comfortable, I think. But um, at the moment, the forecast is for 25 to 35 kilometre an hour winds blowing from the northeast, I believe. And at some stages during that week, that forecast has been as high as 40k winds. So that's really quite strong. Yeah. And a good chance since they're blowing from the north, they're going to be blowing into your face like in the latter part of the race as you head back towards Melbourne CBD. Mm, because the course from memory, not that I've done the marathon course, but I've done the half marathon and you run along um, Beach Road, which is I- incredibly exposed. Do they still run along there? Yeah, you basically run along, um, I, th- I think that as when you're sort of in the the early stages after you come out of Albert Park, you kind of head down Fitzroy Street and then run up along Beaconsfield Parade towards Port Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, that part of the course is fairly exposed to the wind. I'm thinking given the wind direction, that shouldn't be too bad, um, hopefully along there. Um, and then you sort of run towards t- Port Melbourne and turn around and then you, you're running it feels like you're running down, but you're not really running down and you're running towards Elwood. There's a nine-kilometre stretch along the beach. You run past St Kilda, head down towards Elwood, and then you turn around at 25K. Mm. So when do you think you're going to hit the wind around that, at the turnaround, 25K turnaround? Yeah, that's the potential there for the the wind to be a headwind from that point. And then as you head back um, up towards St Kilda and then up St Kilda Road back towards the towards the um the finish and the 2016 Melbourne Marathon really had strong winds and that, that was the one that I spoke to Tom DeCanto about um a few episodes ago and uh also my brother ran that year and yeah he said he described as he turned around from Elwood at 25k just having a little wobble there as he ran into the wind because it was just a bit of a shock so mm-hmm. um I think um in terms of dealing with that on the day uh you've to some extent, you've probably got to toss your pace goal 
out the window, not completely, but perhaps start to think about running evenly in terms of effort rather than evenly in terms of pace because if it's windy, particularly if it starts getting gusty, it's it's going to be hard to kind of maintain. Yeah. You say, okay, I'm just going to run 445-kilometre pace, which is sort of roughly my, my goal pace um, no matter what. Um, if you tried to do that and you're running into a strong headwind, there's a good chance you may cook yourself. Yeah, there's not a lot you can do into a strong headwind, unfortunately. I mean, look at Boston, was it this year or last year? Uh, I think it was this year that they this year, yeah. you know, they had those wild conditions and, yeah, the, it, as you said, you know, the, the race and the tactics changed from time to <laughs> who's the, the toughest mentally to sort of get through those conditions so look I'm still going to hope for everyone out there that it's those winds die down and we all know what Melbourne's like you know the the weatherman will say that it's going to be 20 and raining and it ends up being 15 and sunny so yeah uh, that's right take it with a bit of grain of salt I think traditionally the winds are usually a bit lighter early on um, in the day as well so because of that early start, I'm hoping the um, the worst of the wind forecast won't arrive until later in the day. Mm. So, you mentioned before about your drinks. Tell us tell us about them. I didn't know that you could do personalised drinks at uh, Melbourne. You can, yeah. So there's um, uh, there's three spots on the course where you can pick up your own drink bottle. There's one at eleven and a half k's. Um, there's one at twenty four k's just before the turnaround, um, and there's one at thirty six and a half k's, which is pretty much at the top of that hill that I have mentioned um, along the tan around the Botanic Gardens. So um, there's a personal drinks waiting for you near the top of the hill there after you've kind of struggled up <laughs> so struggled up that hill. How does it work? Um, because how many entrants are in the marathon normally? About 5,000 or a bit more? Yeah, probably a few more than that. Of maybe I think it was maybe six, going from memory, maybe six to 7,000 last year. Yeah, um, so I mean – as someone who hasn't run a marathon before and I've never had personalised drinks before because you don't get them in shorter distances, with so many people, like how do you know and how can you see where your drink is? Well, they, they basically lay them out in terms of um, uh, your bib number. Um, so they have them on tables divided up based on what your race number is. So you can kind of get as you're approaching the personal drink stations, you can kind of get an idea about where in this line of tables, tables and drinks um, that your particular bottle is going to be. So, and then it's just a case of grabbing it. You have to have your name and your race number on your bottle. Um, uh, is so it you can hectic? Kind of pick it out. Uh, look, it wasn't. I don't didn't find it too bad. Um, the only one that I had a challenge with was last year was the first one at eleven and a half k because my drink. My drinks are actually just laid out on the ground, so they're supposed to be up on a table, but they were just on a tray sitting on the ground. So I'm, I'm glad that didn't happen later in the race because I doubt I would have been able to bend over to pick them up. But at 11 k's, my hand, hamstrings were um, still able to um, stretch to allow me to bend down and pick it up. Yeah. So what have you got in your personalised drink? Uh, at this point, it's probably just going to be ap- apple juice, so uh, just something really old simple school. and. Yeah, and I've just got you just need to take on a bit of sugar and I've got these nice little not too big a bottle, a two fifty ml bottle. Um and yeah, that's just a nice sized bottle with a pop top on it that's easy to drink as you're running along. Um it's probably not a huge percentage in getting a giant bottle and they do have restrictions on the size of the bottle that you can put out as well. So um Do you have to pay just extra a nice small bottle. For two no, you don't. No, okay, so they offer it to everyone. That's yeah. good. 
Yeah, and not everyone takes up um, that opportunity and that's probably because of the hassle of having to drop them off the mm. day before. Yeah. Um, but I think it's worthwhile, particularly because this year I'm thinking I'm probably not going to drink that much at the the actual aid stations um, because they are hectic and you just get covered in water and sticky endura and people are sort of diving in front of you. And, uh, yeah, now that I've kind of read a bit more and listened to Tim Noakes talking about um, uh, that, you know, worrying about dehydration is probably not as big an issue as what we were led to believe over the years. So um, I'm going to be well hydrated before the race and the day before. I think that's um, more honestly. So personally for someone who does not and has never really drunk in a lot during races, I really do believe it is, you know, those few days beforehand and I am religious with the amount of water that I do drink daily so I feel like I'm constantly hydrated. I, I just find that it sits in my stomach. I, I sometimes get a stitch from too much fluid um, in a race. It, it gurgles around. I find it very irritating. Yeah, it can be. And look, I just think it'll. I'll have a smoother race if I'm not trying to dive in and grab a cup, which it's really hard to drink out of the cups as well. Yeah. So um, yeah. even even if you grab one, how much of it are you actually going to get down? Yeah. Um, so if I grab my little pop-top bottles, I'll be getting, you know, three-quarters of a litre of fluid plus sugar into me. Yeah. Um, and a little trick my um, brother let me in on was you can actually tape your gels to your drink bottle. So I did that last year as well. So That's I just a had, a, had, a, had a gel taped to each of my personal drink bottles. And an even better idea um, that I've heard of is you could even mix up a gel in some water and put that in your drink bottle. Then you wouldn't have the double um, task of opening your gel and then opening your drink bottle. You could just open up your drink bottle, which is full of diluted gel. Um, that probably tastes pretty horrible, but um, yeah, you could do that if you wanted to. So your plan is at 11, 25 and 36 Ks, you're going to have a little bit of apple juice. Yep. Any water planned in amongst all of that? Uh, not really. Um, if I feel like I need some, I'll just I'll just grab some from an aid station because they're just, Everywhere. there's so many aid stations. Um, if I need water, um, I can grab some along the way. So. And what about then yeah, the gels? Be- How many of those? Um, last year, I think I actually took four Mm -hmm. during the course of the race. I started the race with one in my pocket and I then had three, which I picked up at those, those drink stations. Um, I might cut that back by one this year. I'm actually thinking I'll probably just have the one that with me at the start, um, and have that just before the first drink station. And then I can just concentrate on drinking that first drink and not worry about grabbing another gel. So mm-hmm. probably have about three um, okay. throughout the course of the race. Yeah. Do I ask about the shoes? The shoe, Yeah, we, we did talk about the shoes. So I'll be running in my um, Adi Zero or Adidas Adi Zero Adios. So they're, they're marathon racing flat. Um, I think you've got a pair of those as well now. But, yeah, I they're do. pretty pretty light and responsive kind of shoe but they've still got a bit of cushioning um they're on a nine millimeter offset i think Mm. um so yeah i've i did that flinders island 26k race in those and that proved to be um uh pretty good um so yeah i'm I'm sticking sticking to those um for this campaign Mm. well i want to hear about your race strategy (laughs) do you have one you have to have one 
Yeah. I, well, look, I, I do, and it has changed slightly because of the the forecast conditions. Um, I had or had planned. I'd had always planned to start fairly um, comfortably and easily, and um, my strategy this time was to kind of keep the three twenty pace group in sight. Um, I'm sort of more prepared to be a bit more flexible on that and start even more conservatively. So, um, look, it's possible I'll probably run the first couple of Ks at maybe at about five-minute kilometre pace just as I kind of get going and get warmed up. Um, and probably, uh, you know, running down that first section along St Kilda Road, there's a fair chance the wind will be behind us. Um but given there's a lot of buildings along there, probably won't feel it feel it too much. So I, I think I'll just concentrate more on being relaxed and being a little bit more conservative over the kind of first half of the race, given that I know that there's a good chance that I'm going to be running back into the wind. So the the kind of um, the downside of, of the wind and feeling like I might have to back off a little bit is I'm probably going to lose sight of that. Um, 320 pace group at some point and then I could find myself in the no man's land between the 320 pace group and the 330 group. Mm. Um, there should be a lot of runners though around surely. Absolutely yeah it's and then it's it's just a question about um, well yeah how do you kind of then keep an eye on how you're going effort wise and pace wise which um it's kind of related. Remember how we're talking about what's going to be on your watch yeah. face? Well, what is going to be on your watch face? What's is this part of all of your strategy? It is, yeah. And uh, before the weather forecast came in, I was only really going to have um, the uh, race time and some indication of pace available, um, and just forget about heart rate completely. Um, now that there's this wind factor involved, I, I'm, I've got actually got the ability to have two different views on my um, watch. So on one of the views, I, at this stage at least, I may still change my mind. I'm I've, I've going to have basically the elapsed time of the race and my average speed. Okay, yeah. Um, last year I had my actual speed, but that just goes all over the place. So I don't think it's a very useful kind of indicator and kind of could lead to you like doing little mini surges and stuff to try and hang on to your goal pace. Yeah. I think the average pace is more likely to give you a just a if you look down every now and again, you could just get a bit of an indication of how you're going compared to your goal. Yeah, I agree with um, you on that. In my marathon um, tempo simulation I did on the weekend, I had it on current pace. I didn't realise that I had it on that. And there was a couple of times we went through some sort of heavy tree area and you know how your GPS sometimes goes a bit funny. And I, I happened to look down and my watch said 4.35 and I thought, Surely, like there, there is no way that I am now running four thirty-five. And uh, anyway, I did speed up a little bit, and then the K split went through, and I ended up running a four ten. So I was yeah. six seconds quicker than I should have been. And I thought, all right, yeah, enough is enough. Right. Run by yep. feel. You knew that that wasn't a four thirty-five. So uh, I, I do actually agree with that strategy. Not current pace, overall pace. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think for those kind of GPS watches, they. They're on average, they're quite accurate, but um, yeah, certainly while you're moving along, they can jump around a bit. Mine certainly does jump around. I've noticed that in training. So yeah, if yours jumps around, then probably maybe that's not a good idea to have on your watch face. And so the other view I've got up my sleeve is just elapsed time of the race and heart rate. Um, 
And the only reason I've added that back in is just for sections. If if the wind is really strong, that would just give me a, a bit of an extra indication in addition to just kind of feel about how much effort I'm expending running into the wind. Um, and it may just be better to kind of focus on that um, rather than even average pace or thinking about pace at all. If the wind's really picking up, I'm going to have to kind of keep an eye on um, managing how how much effort I'm expending. And, and I actually had that on my watch face at Flinders Island when you might remember I ran in ran into 40k headwinds for 26k's yeah. <laughs> yep and I did find the heart rate monitor in that sense really useful as a way to kind of dole out my effort um and I just kind of kept myself within um or made sure I didn't go into the red zone um and was just sort of staying in that kind of marathon pace range and so yeah if it is really windy at certain points um depending on how I'm going if I've, if I think of it I might switch over and and just have a look at the have a look at how I'm going heart rate wise mm. um, and obviously the the closer to the finish I get the less I'm going to care about heart rate because if I'm in the red zone um, as I'm getting close to the end I'm not really going to be too fussed about that but if I'm if I'm still you know 10 miles from the finish and I'm running into a headwind then yeah I've still got an interest in making sure I don't hit that red zone too early in the race. Mm. So last year, you are probably one of the only, if not the only person I've ever spoken to that I said, you know, how did you feel when you hit 35 Ks? And you're like, I felt fine. (laughs) And then you said, oh, my last two Ks were my quickest two Ks. How did you do that? And are you going to employ that same sort of strategy this year? Uh, Well, um, how did I do it? I, I guess I did run relatively conservatively I think throughout the the first part of the race and look I, I didn't run uh, there were some patches where I where I my pace did drop off um, and I think sort of between 20 and 30k it did kind of drop back a fraction um, and I think I ended up with relatively even first and second half splits so I I think the big picture answer for most people is you've either got to run fairly evenly overall or you've got to run a negative split Um, if you find yourself in the situation where you cook yourself in the first half there's no way you're going to be able to finish off strongly at the end like I did Um, and I guess how did I do it Um, Melbourne's actually it's a challenging course because a lot of people talk about, you know, the race starts at 30, 30 or 32 kilometres in a marathon. Um, because Melbourne's got that late climb um, between 35 and about 37 kilometres, so you sort of you climb, it's close to a 30-metre climb, which doesn't sound like much over a couple of k's, but late in the marathon it feels like you're going up a mountain. Um, Is that coming up Fitzroy Street and then heading on to St Kilda Road? No, that's much earlier. Okay. That is a little climb, but that's at about 30 k's. Um, so that is a challenging little little rise. But, um, yeah, this one, as you, you run all the way back down St Kilda Road, you run underneath the art centre uh, okay. um, and that's the lowest point of the course. And then you've got this gradual climb up along the tan past the Shrine of Remembrance. Um, and, yeah, that is about a 30-metre climb. Um, but, yeah, it feels steeper than that. So in a sense, I think like the Melbourne Marathon – like yeah, it does it does kind of start at thirty k? But I think for Melbourne runners, people who've done it before may agree with me. But I felt like the race kind of starts at about 
37 Ks, or maybe it starts at 35 when you start that climb um, because you've got to have kept a little bit of energy in reserve and some mental resolve to get yourself up that climb. Mm. And once you get over the top of it, there's only 5 Ks to go. So that's pretty encouraging because you're really within mental um, spitting distance of the finish. Um, so once you get over that little climb, there's a nice downhill section where you can kind of open up a little bit and then there's a, a tiny little short climb after that and then really the last 4K are quite flat. Um, and once you get to, to 40 kilometres, you know, for me it was just like, okay, I'm still, well, actually I'll just take a step back. What what are, what you're kind of doing the whole time, and this is more for people who haven't run the marathon before, is just kind of being really attentive to how am I feeling um, and the closer you get to f- the finish and you're still feeling okay and your body's still intact, really the more kind of risk and effort you can start to put in. Mm, um, and I was point. still feeling, after I got over the hill, I was still feeling okay. So I thought, right, as, as I get closer to the finish, I'm going to be able to um, increase my effort levels. And particularly when I got to 40K, it's like, well, you know, really I've got, really 10 minutes to run so I can afford to start really opening up a little bit more and and pushing the pace a bit. So I guess I managed to run those last two Ks because I arrived at that point in good condition and then just that little bit of extra mental motivation of being close to the finish allows you to kind of push on um, and run a bit faster Um, because at that point, yeah, you can take more risks. Mm, Well, are you going to employ the same strategy this year? So go out a bit slower, hit halfway. What do you need to hit halfway in to hit your goal time? Yeah, I think about um, 140, okay. one, one hour and 40 minutes yep. would be 320, but I would be very confident that I don't reach halfway in that time. I think it'll be a bit slower than that. So um, I've actually been thinking as well, I, I might uh, – if I think of it, take a manual split um, at each 5K mm. point. I was going to ask you that, actually. Are you going to have any auto splits at anywhere along the, the way? Yeah. But the yeah. 5K distance quite nice, isn't it? Because there's not too many of them. It's not, you know, how mad would you go if you had a K split every every K? I'd well, go mad. I actually had that last time. Oh, did you? Didn't, yeah, and that's, that's what I train with every day. So I didn't find that... Um, annoying I actually kind of found it useful because my watch just pops up a little here's what your last k was um and gives you like an average heart rate as well or something so and and you don't always notice it so I didn't find it intrusive like sometimes I probably noticed it and other times I didn't um so yeah I was thinking about whether I'd switch that off but I'm thinking I might just leave it on because um once you really get into the race you kind of don't notice it I remember at Flinders Island I, I didn't really notice that split because I was a bit more engaged with what was going on. So I think if you're like engaged and sort of present and really getting into the race, you're probably not going to notice that anyway. I think Um, they call that being in the zone, don't they? Yeah, something like that, something like that. But, yeah, I was thinking about taking 5K manual splits um, if I think of it, Um, and that means that would allow me to sort of – look, 24-minute 5K pace is a little, little bit off um, the 320 goal pace, but probably if I run the first 5K and the second 5K in 
24 minutes or even a fraction slower, I'm not going to be too unhappy with that. So I will be interested in what those 5K splits and, and 24 minutes is a nice even number that you can. Yeah, you can remember. <laughs> you, yeah. So yeah. what's your 5K splits that you that the, if you were going to run them every split to get to 320? Uh, I think it's something like twi- 2345 or something. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm not going to think of that. But if I'm if I, if I'm within the ballpark of 24 minutes, I'm going to be pretty happy. So um, yeah, I think I think I'll be looking at the, that 24 minutes as a bit of a benchmark for my 5k splits and um, just judging how I'm going against that. Yeah, 23:42. I've just plugged it into a pace calculator. So yeah, as you say, settle in for the first five 10k's, and then. If all goes well and you run it like last year, well, then you can come home like the wind. Hopefully. Mm, hopefully. So the <laughs> come goal- home into the wind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the goal is three hours 20? Uh, well, I don't think it is anymore because of the conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's That's really kind of the ballpark or the baseline that I started with. Um, I don't think I could predict exactly what I'm going to run at this point. But, um, yeah, I, I I'd be if you really made me put a number on I it. I'm probably... going to make you have <laughs> a goal, which is perfect weather conditions, and a B goal, current predicted yep. weather pedi- uh, conditions. Yeah. Well, look, perfect conditions. Yeah, three three twenty would have been a realistic goal, um, but given the conditions are going to be a little bit warmer than optimal, and most likely there's going to be some strong wind out there at some point. I'm thinking probably mid three, mid 320s is going to be more realistic. Um, Look, that if you run that, that's still what a 10 minute PB. It would that's be. Huge. It's still yeah. That's Look. huge and it's amazing. So, uh, look, I'm I'm quietly confident for you. I've obviously not running the race, but I will be certainly glued to my phone, <laughs> tracking you on the live tracker. That they, they have one, don't they? They do, yeah. They've got live tracker on there, so you'll be able to, if you want to, follow my progress. What's um, your number? Or can you just type in your name? Or you you can just type in your name, yeah. Yeah, name or number. But, yeah, if you just type in my name, um, it'll come up straight away. I was yeah. just having a bit of a look at that before. so Perfect. Yeah, can, All right. Well, I'll be doing that do because my long run this week is on Saturday and I have got nothing on Sunday, so I will be – madly tracking the Melbourne Marathon and how everybody's going. But take me through the warm-up, like what you're going to do race morning. Um, so I'm going to try and get up, uh, I think I'll probably get up at about 5 o'clock mm. um, and I will, I will that's actually That's going to hurt eat. actually because that's really 4 o'clock. Oof. I'm, I know, but my body has somehow switched over because I've been waking up at five, so I think my, my mind has been getting me ready for it. So You're one of those that just like are amazing in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I've become a morning person in my old age, but um, Who yeah, are you? I'll, be, I'll be up early and eating breakfast. Um, I don't usually eat before I run, but before the marathon, I definitely want to eat. Um, so I've got that sort of fuel on board. What are you going to have? I'm curious about this because this is a big Mm. challenge for me. I struggle to eat when I sort of first wake up, um, but I love breakfast and then I get to like I've done a warm-up and then I'm starving again. So I I think I'm going to have to have a bit of a phased breakfast approach, but what are you going to do and what are you going to have? Phased breakfast is not a bad idea. Um, I'll tell you what I did last year and that was um, I ate – well, have coffee for a start, and then I had um, uh, had a whole bunch of 
I'm a big, big nut eater. So I had a whole bunch of nuts. Um, I had a banana and I had some of Phil Maffetone's bar, which is essentially a nut bar with some um, raw nuts, honey, egg protein, um, uh, and that's pretty much, and a little bit of um, that sort of um, organic cacao powder. Um, So I had a bit of that and I also had an apple as I walked down to the MCG last year. So it was not a huge breakfast, but, yeah, probably a couple of handfuls of nuts, um, a couple of squares of that Phil's Bar coffee and banana and apple. Um, and that's the kind of usual stuff I would have around the morning. Um, this year I'm probably going to do similar, but I'll probably have a, um, a bowl of porridge as well. I tried that out before the Flinders Island race. Um, so, yeah, bowl of porridge with cream and honey, yum. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> um, before the race. And, oh, yeah, I'll probably still have a handful of nuts and a banana um, as well. So that kind of sat with me pretty well during that Flinders race. So I think... Um, I think I'll probably do the same thing. If I'm feeling if I'm feeling nervous or my stomach is a bit upset, I might skip the porridge and just do what I did last year. But I'll definitely make sure I've got um, got some fuel on board before the race. How do you feel before a race? Because you this week have been rewatching. Uh, I think it's called the Golden Hour. The Golden Hour, yes. Yeah, with uh, basically the Arthur Lydiard stable in the 1960s and yep. uh, is it Halberg describes how yep. he feels prior to a race and I love this description. He was saying that he basically can barely walk. It's as though his body just shuts down and he's got no energy and he doesn't have a clue how he's even going to get through the race. And the minute the gun goes, it's as though it was he was born to run. Everything comes together and you know, he sort of suggests that it's his body's way of like just saving energy so that he doesn't expel anything else that he needs to. He can save it all for the race. And I just loved that analogy and that feeling of what he described because, you know, I certainly have felt like that before. Have you ever experienced that? Yes, I've I've definitely felt like that um, before, and probably more in shorter races. I actually can't remember last year having that sort of feeling leading up to the race of um, complete lack of energy. Um, but I've certainly felt that in other shorter races over the years. Um, so I'm hoping I don't have that feeling. But um, I, I agree with you know what Holberg was saying. Once the once the gun goes, the adrenaline takes over and. Um, all of a sudden you're up and running and full of energy. So it's mm. it's definitely a mental thing. Mm. Yeah. Warm-up? What are you planning uh, on doing, if any? It's a weird one warming up for a marathon, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I'm actually not going to do a, a warm-up other than just to walk down to the start line from the accommodation. And that's about a two-kilometre walk. So I'll have done about um, probably 10, 10 or 15 minutes walking um, before the start and for me that's really probably going to be enough. If I was a faster runner, I would probably be more attentive to actually doing a little bit of jogging um, before the race and I'm just thinking back to advanced marathoning. I'm pretty sure the advice Pete, Pete Fitzinger gives in that is um, two five-minute jogs and the first one is really slow and the second one starts really slow and then finishes um, either at your marathon pace or a little bit just short of that. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think for um, for most runners, if you're in that kind of three hour thirty to four hours to five hours, then you don't really need to warm up. Like a, a walk to the start line is going to be sufficient, and just use the first couple of k's as you warm up because some nice easy easy running to get rolling to begin is a, is a great way to start the marathon. You, you're going to allow yourself time to warm up, but you're also conserving a lot of energy for later in the race. Yeah, and that's one of the points. I went back and reread that Pete Fitzinger's chapter because I usually like a bit of a warm before I race and his main point was, well, you don't want to waste any extra glycogen stores by using them in the warm-up. And as you said, especially if you're looking to run three and a half hours plus, you know, it's it probably is a really nice way to warm up and actually then start to feel good as the first few Ks roll on. Yeah, definitely. That was that was my strategy last year and I'm pretty sure I ran my first K in quite a bit off my goal pace. It might have even been like five minutes thirty or something like that. The first K was really quite cruisy um, and then I kind of worked down to um, closer to where my goal was after that. So, um, And particularly at Melbourne because the, the start is actually at the bottom of a short hill. Mm. Um, so like tearing off um, really quickly in in the first um, four or 500 metres is probably not a good idea because you've got to just get over this little rise Um at the, at the start as well. So just use that hill to kind of keep you in check um, and let everyone else go because, you know, good chance if you start nice and easily, you're going to be seeing them again later in the race. <laughs> it's actually a bit more of a rise. That starts probably a bit mean, isn't it, for the marathon because you start there for, the, I think, all the other races, the 10K, the half and the poor marathoners, uh, they're out of the gates and up a hill. Yeah, it is, it is a bit cruel, but I remember – remarking upon that to my brother before I did it last year I was a bit anxious about it and he just said you you probably won't even remember it or notice it um which was pretty much how it turned out I didn't really notice it because it's it's so early in the race and if you start conservatively it's really not going to do you too much damage mm. well it's getting exciting I'm like I don't know I'm sitting here like a silly little Cheshire cat beaming away <laughs> thinking I'm, I'm really excited for you. I, I feel like you've done fantastic training. You've been really patient. You've had a very different, uh, you know, marathon training block to, to me and I'm just really interested to see how it pans out. Absolutely. And I, I think the, the thing that I did well last year in the race, and this is probably a bit of advice for people doing it the first time around, is, is take the time to really enjoy it and if you do start conservatively and run a little bit slower, you've got a better chance of being able to enjoy it and really kind of take in take in your surrounds, have a chat to some of the runners that you're either at the start or that you run with along the way. Um, enjoy the amazing crowd support, um, particularly when you get down along the, along the beach. So you, you end up with like a good 15 kilometres where you have people kind of lining the roads and cheering you on. And, um, yeah, engage with the people on the side of the road a bit. I did that last year and really enjoyed it. It does give you a good sort of energy boost just to kind of take in your surroundings and, and really absorb it. So, um, yeah, you're, you're there to run your race and some people have sort of very serious goals and take them very seriously but don't miss out on the on the experience um, and really kind of enjoying that aspect of it. That, that'll be certainly something I'll be thinking about mm. during the races um, to really kind of engage with it and 
enjoy it and you'll actually remember some of that afterwards whereas if you just kind of flog yourself you'll just have this kind of fog of um oh yeah i was just in pain the whole way (laughs) as opposed to having some nice moments um that you remember for later Mm, it's actually quite a common theme of advice isn't it especially for first marathoners from you know elites right down to people who have done you know lots of marathons is really that enjoyment factor like it's a long way you've you've done all this training but it's also a really big achievement so to absorb it and take it all in and also be proud of yourself even if you don't hit the goal times that you had wanted to the fact that you've completed 42.2 kilometers like that's that's massive yeah that's right and if you're getting to the start line that's an achievement um, in itself and all of your training that you've done is an achievement and you would have enjoyed that so yeah it's kind of like the uh, the culmination of quite a, a long period of period of work and there's lots of little achievements and um, things that you should congratulate yourself about along the way. Um, I've certainly done that along the way with the training and, uh, yeah, whatever happens on um, on Sunday, uh, yeah, I'm I just going to enjoy it as much as I possibly can and um, hopefully have some good stories to tell for, um, for next week for yeah. our next show. I know. I'm looking forward to that too. I've got a couple of things. can't wait for you to run it and then I can't wait to hear about your post-race recap and what worked and what didn't and, you know, knowing, knowing you and, you know, you're a runner and you're competitive, probably will straight away be thinking of what's next even though you, <laughs> sort of, you haven't really thought about it. <laughs> I actually have been thinking about it. <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to um, having some time off and then hitting the next campaign because I just I have really enjoyed that process and I really enjoy tinkering with different things and trying different things so yeah yeah, I've got a I've got a few little tricks in my bag that I'm going to be trying for um for 2019 so kind of looking forward to doing that but um and another thing too you need to get to the finish line irrespective of time because then you'll be two from two as part of your greater goal what what is it your your spartan campaign is that what it's yeah that's right i'm gonna try and the melbourne marathons have this um uh, spartans uh group and you earn your way into that group by running 10 melbourne marathons um and i'm hoping to do that consecutively um you don't have to but um I'm going to try and do 10 in a row. So, yes, you're right. I do have to get to the finish line. So, um, yeah, no, no matter what happens, um, I have to get to the finish line so I can keep my streak going. Mm. I've got my streak of one. I want to make it a streak of two. Well, I'm pretty confident that you will. So, I guess massive good luck to you. Massive good luck to all of the listeners out there that are not only just doing the marathon, too, it's a festival. There's a 5.5K, I think. There's a 10K, there's a half marathon, and then, of course, there's a marathon. So it's always a fun day. I'm actually pretty jealous that I'm not down there. I usually try and get down there every year, even if I'm not running. But uh, this year it's just a bit too close to New York, but I'll be certainly watching from the sidelines on all the socials and on the, on the tracker. Absolutely. And you'll be doing it next year, won't you? So I hope so. I really, really hope so. You know, I was a bit uh, bit down in the dumps that I didn't get to do it. I really wanted Melbourne to be my debut. It was a bit sentimental for me. And mm-hmm. as I said before, last year was just a disaster. And I think it was a bit ambitious after having a baby thinking I could <laughs> make the start line of a marathon. Uh, I, look, and I know that a lot of people do it, but uh, I just uh, I wasn't able to. So anyway, next year. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm. Well, well, go and put your feet up. Keep massaging that calf. Take Charlotte the Wonder Dog for a couple more walks and be tracking your every step in two absolutely. days' time. Absolutely. 
I will be doing that. I'll be relaxing. And yeah, from me, good luck to everyone who's running um, at Melbourne on the weekend. Hopefully I'll see you out there. Um, If I don't, um, best of luck and hope you have an enjoyable marathon event um, and look forward to recapping it all with you next week. You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin. See you next week.